pop quiz. Name three specific images on the Utah State flag. You've got 10 seconds. Ready? Go. Okay, a beehive. Check. An eagle. Check. What else? Ah, oh, time's up. Let's talk about the other images on the Utah State flag in a few minutes. This is the City's Work Podcast from the Utah League of Cities and Towns. I'm your host, Susan Wood. What does it take to make a flag a good flag? Think about that. On this episode, we speak with the man who wrote the book about good flags and bad flags, vexillologist Ted Kay. First, I wanted to know when I learned about you and what you do is what in the heck is a vexillologist? I've never heard that before. Well, that's your word for the day, vexillology. Vexillology is the study of flags. It comes from the Latin word vexillum, meaning flag, and ology, study of. Vexillology, but my wife says it's because it's vexing and silly. <laughs> How does one ever become interested in becoming a vexillologist? Where did it begin for you? Well, for me, it began as collecting flags as tourist mementos. I collect the flags of places I've been to. I have two rules for my collection. I can only own a flag if I've been to a place, and the flag itself has to come from the place. So they are actually the ultimate tourist memento. But for many people, flag interest started from seeing that page in the encyclopedia with all the flags on it. And the, the most common age for interest in flags starts at age 10. We have the North American Vexillological Association, NAVA, and the most common age for NAVA members reporting when they first became interested in flags is 10. There's another peak in the late teens and then other ages, of course. But many people began liking flags quite young in life. When did you begin liking flags? I found a drawing of a flag that I did for a fifth grade class report. So I guess I was 10, so I matched that. You did, you fit the statistics right on. So let's talk about what makes a good flag. You came up with the five principles of flag design. Tell us what those are. About 20 years ago, I compiled a flag design guidebook called Good Flag, Bad Flag. I say I compiled it because I put together the writings of about 20 different vexillologists who had written on the subject, but I made it short and sweet and gave it a catchy title and I provided examples of flag designs that followed the principles and designs that didn't, hence good flag, bad flag. So this wasn't part of a research project, it was just because you're interested in flags. It came out of an International Congress of Vexillology held in Victoria, BC that year in 1999, where we had a workshop where flag dealers described the designs that their customers brought them and spent a lot of time in the workshop complaining about how poor the designs were. And at the end of the presentation, I stood up and said, 
how dare we as flag experts criticize other people's flag designs if we don't tell them what good designs should be? I volunteered to compile a guidebook. And two years later, I delivered the guidebook to the next International Congress. And that's Good Flag, Bad Flag. And you've made it very simple. The book is 16 pages long. Is that right? That's right. 16 pages is the perfect number of pages. It's short enough to catch everybody's attention, and it's long enough to qualify for media mail rates. <laughs> and you've narrowed the concepts down to five points. What are those five points? The five basic principles of flag design are simplicity, meaningful symbolism, two to three colors, no lettering or seals, and distinctiveness. If a flag follows those principles, it's very likely to be a very successful flag. There are exceptions to those principles, but if you follow the principles, you're going to have a great flag. And when you think about the flags that are memorable, the flags that stand out in your mind, there are some certain flags. I'm thinking of the flags of countries that come to mind. What comes to mind for well, you? Well, Japan, for one. I'm thinking of some of the states in the United States that have very colorful, simple, like you said, memorable flags. Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico. What, what are some good flags in your opinion? The flag of Japan that you cited. It's simple. It has incredibly meaningful symbolism, the land of the rising sun. It's got two colors. There's no lettering or seals on it. It doesn't say Japan on it. And it's very distinctive. Now, no, we didn't even have to describe the flag because you remember what it is. It's a red disc on a white background. That's a very effective flag. Uh, simplicity is perhaps the most important of the principles of flag design. And all of these principles are because flags have a specific purpose and form follows function. If the function of a flag is to represent a person, place, or thing on a piece of fabric that's seen at a distance, flapping in the wind, and seen on both sides, only the simplest designs work. You don't need more than two to three colors to be effective. And Writing on flags is lost at a distance. It makes them very expensive to make. It doesn't read right on both sides. And ultimately, flags are graphic symbols, not verbal symbols. Why, why not just write France on the flag? We would laugh at that. But we actually do see state flags and city flags with the name on it, like Kansas. You know, why did they put Kansas on it? Because it's otherwise an indistinguishable design. But of course, it says Saznak on the other side. Pocatello is an interesting case because in 2004, NAVA did a survey asking people to rate the design qualities of 150 American cities. Pocatello's came in dead last. Pocatello's flag was designed based on a logo for its Chamber of Commerce. The only place it ever flew was over the sewage plant. It had a trademark symbol and a copyright symbol on it. And the largest piece of it said, proud to be Pocatello. Even the designer of that logo said that was never meant to be on a flag. Pocatello, stung by its lowest rating in the survey and other media attention to it, 
engaged in an effort to redesign its flag. There's a great TED talk by the communications director of the city of Pocatello, Logan McDougall, where he describes the entire process of deciding that yes, Pocatello should have a new flag. And they went through uh, a public competition and they selected a new flag. So when you ask your listeners to look at Pocatello, have, make sure they watch for the old flag and the new flag. So there's a new one now. There is in the last two or three years. What do you think of Utah's state flag? Utah's state flag is indistinguishable at a distance from 23 other U.S. state flags, all of which put some kind of seal on a blue background. If the goal of a state flag is to be distinguishable at a distance, there are other goals, uh, repository of history, continuity of civic love for the state, but the basic function of a flag is to be recognizable at a distance. Utah's is one of 24 that all look the same at a distance. That's a core argument for change for any of those blue flags with a seal, including my home state of Oregon, which actually has bragging rights for terrible flag because it's got a different symbol on the back from the front, which makes it the most expensive state flag ever. As Utah embarks on this major flag redesign effort, where do we begin? And how do we go about a process that monumental? We've all learned the stories of the original Stars and Stripes, Old Glory, our early American flag, 13 horizontal stripes of red and white, and 13 stars white in a blue field. But for Utah to redesign its historic flag, that means possibly moving on from the flag of blue, the eagle and the beehive with its surrounding buzzing bees on a white shield. You'll recall the name Utah appears below the beehive, along with the date 1847, the year the Mormon pioneers entered the Salt Lake Valley. Another year, 1896, is also written on the flag, the year Utah was admitted as the 45th state of the Union. Six arrows represent six Native American tribes in Utah. Sago lilies represent peace and survival. American flags flank that shield. It's all surrounded by a gold circle. By the way, that's the answer to the pop quiz. How'd you do? In a legislative bill in 2021, State Senator Dan McKay sponsored a bill to create a task force to assess the need for redesigning the state flag. That passed. And the assessment has begun, with a request for submissions from all interested Utahns. Now, back to our visiting vexillologist. Utah has an opportunity to choose a design. If it embarks on changing its state flag, it has the opportunity to create a design that will resonate among Utahns and be recognizable outside the state. Utah simply needs to look at its Four Corners neighbors, the flags you mentioned, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, to see great designs that people will put on their t-shirts, they'll 
put them on mugs, they'll get tattoos of them. What makes the New Mexico flag and the Arizona flag, what makes them so great as far as the design is concerned? I'll harken back to five principles of flag design. They're simple, few colors, meaningful symbolism, no lettering or seals, and they're distinctive. There are no other U.S. state flags that look remotely like Arizona's or New Mexico's or Colorado's. You could even just look at a corner of one of those flags and you'd know which one it was. You have in front of you the images of these state flags. The uh, New Mexico flag, for example, describe that one, if you will. The New Mexico flag has a tribal symbol on it. There's some controversy over that because some in the tribe feel that that's an appropriation. But the flag was designed in the 1920s. I think it's the Zia, Zia tribe. It's a sun symbol of a circle with uh, rays going in the four cardinal directions out of the sun. Um, two of the rays are longer and then two on each side shorter. So it makes 12 rays total coming out of it. And that is so iconic. You see it in the license plates. You see it uh, widely used in New Mexico. And again, in the two colors of the Spanish flag showing that heritage. That flag is unmistakable and widespread in New Mexico. Colorado's flag has a C in it. There's text. That's a, that's a good point. And uh, my argument there, I'll defend that C by saying it's really almost a, a symbol uh, rather than trying to spell Colorado on it. Uh, it's a big red C with a yellow disc inside the C and all that's on three stripes of blue, white, and blue. Denver's flag evokes those colors and some of the shapes. It has mountains in it, but it's all the same four colors as on the Colorado flag. As Utah looks at, at a flag, my advice is don't try to do too much. The flag's simply one symbol. It may be the symbol, but it doesn't have to be everything. Japan is far more than just being the land of the rising sun, but the idea is let's pick one thing that we can use to identify us, to unite us in showing who we are to each other, and to identify us to the outside. Canada has more kinds of trees than just maple trees. But by choosing the maple leaf and agreeing that the maple leaf represents Canada, Canada has chosen a symbol that broadcasts its image to the world. You could argue that the Texas flag is the ultimate reductionist version of the US flag. It has a blue stripe at the hoist with a white star, a single white star, and two stripes, maybe bars you'd call them, white over red. That is all of the things that are in the United States flag boiled down to its essence. And the Texas state flag is the number one selling state flag in the country. Not only are there a lot of Texans buying their flag, and there's a lot of expatriate Texans buying the flag, but it's just a great design, and people like that flag. Boy, there's so many symbolic things about Utah that could be depicted on the flag, but you have to keep it simple, like you said. So back to the question of where do you begin? 
I think you ask Utahns what symbols make sense to them. I helped the Salt Lake Tribune with its state flag competition in 2002. 20 years ago, this same idea came up and Utahns submitted well over a thousand proposed designs for the state flag. And they sorted into different kinds of symbols. There were lots of beehives. There were lots of arches. There were lots of shapes of the state. Then there were seagulls. There were sago lilies. There were hands, shaking hands, other more abstract ideas. But my point to Utahns is any one of them will be just fine. It doesn't have to be the one symbol that everybody thinks is the symbol. All you need to do is agree, well, that's going to be the symbol that's going to be Utah and not Nevada and not Wyoming and not Colorado. Is it common for a state who is embarking on this process to hold on to the historic flag and keep it as such while adapting a newer flag that's more symbolic and more up to date, more representative of what the people are or what the heritage is? When flags change, the previous flag almost always is honored as part of the history of the place. It came out of a certain time, as did Utah's state flag, but it may not be the best for today's time and, in fact, gets changed. It's interesting to me that the flag changes at the state level in the United States in the past few years have mostly been driven by flags having some kind of offensive symbolism on it. The Georgia state flag changed in the early 2000s because it had a Confederate battle flag on it. Two thirds of the space of the Georgia state flag, which had been adopted in 1956 in the teeth of the resistance of the civil rights movement, that was deemed offensive and that came off of the Georgia state flag. Mississippi took the Confederate battle flag off of its flag, again, for the same reason. It was a symbol now deemed offensive. Today, Massachusetts is engaged in a similar effort because its flag has the state seal on it. And the state seal depicts an Indian with an arm and a sword above the Indian. There are important heraldic reasons for why it looks the way it does, and it's not intentionally offensive, but it's important that if it does offend people, that the owners of the flag understand that, and Massachusetts does, and it is now going to change its seal. It has a commission working on it right now, and then by definition, the flag will change. Either they'll just slap the new seal on the flag, which will be a lost opportunity, or They'll say, oh, we need a new flag. Let's do what Utah's doing. And part of what Utah's doing is something that you mentioned before involving the public. Indeed, there's actually two parts to what Utah's doing. One is it's polling the public to say, what do you want on your flag? Give us your ideas. It's also having a competition saying, please submit your designs. And my understanding is that Utah will take that first bunch of ideas and have some professional graphic designers create designs to throw them into the competition. In other words, to channel the ideas of Utahns who have their ideas but aren't 
going to be designers of the flag. Now, as the expert that you are, it's nice to know that you've been involved in consulting on this whole process that Utah's undertaking right now. How closely have you been working with Utah state leaders as well as some city leaders who've engaged in flag redesign? I've been involved with city and state and national flag redesign for several years, even though I myself am not a designer. I'm an editor. I took the works of other people and edited them into a flag design book. But because I've been working with so many institutions, entities, governments on flags, I've become quite expert in the flag redesign process. So I've been able to offer my experience and insights to those who are organizing the Utah State Flag Competition. I know what pitfalls can come up or what objections there might be or uh, decisions that might need to be made. And I'm able to say, hey, you're going to face this question. A question, for example, how should we have people submit flag designs? And my suggestion is make everything come in on a three by five piece of paper. In fact, when we spoke earlier, you mentioned making an even smaller version of that because this is an image that you suggest should be recognizable from distances. Indeed. So let me separate those. The advice for running a competition is have everybody submit on a standard size so that when the flag design committee is in the room trying to work on them, they can pin them all up on the wall and they'll all be the same size. You're mentioning, though, a very important idea, and that is a flag seen at a distance, flapping 50 or 100 feet away on a flagpole, looks about the same size as a one by one and a half inch rectangle seen maybe 15 inches from your eyes. So when you design a flag, don't start with an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Draw a rectangle one by one and a half inch and make your design in that. I've used that method even with kids high schoolers down to kindergartners. And I've seen kids and five-year-olds design world-class flags by being limited to what they could draw in that little rectangle, because that's all you're going to see anyway. How do you see Utah? An outreach effort is now underway asking for your input on the symbols and colors that represent our identity. You can participate by clicking on flag.utah.gov. In our next episode, we continue our conversation with Ted Kay and explore our own community flags. Do they say what we want them to say about our communities? That's next time on the City's Work Podcast.